Hey folks, this is Screen Watching. My name is Dan Barrow. I'm joined as always by Simon Foster. Simon, how the heck are you doing, buddy? I'm doing all right, Daniel. I hope you're well, suffering through a typically freezing Brisbane winter. Uh, I just took the dog for a brisk walk with some short sleeves and off I went. In in your two-piece, yeah, no, fair enough. No, it's very chilly here in Sydney. You're not missing anything. What have you been watching this week? What a busy show we have this week. Are we bantering? Let's banter first. Okay, we, well, this is what we're here for. It's for the banter. So, sure. look, Simon, I saw something this afternoon and, uh, I mean, look, the phrase memory burn suddenly comes into this one. Oh, something I'll never forget. Why it's, you know, it's well and truly ingrained in the memory now. I don't like where and this is going. Here's the thing. Have you ever watched the movie Grease 2? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, so uh, it a double feature at the North Sydney Cinema with Fame. There you okay. go. Okay. Oh, that sounds like a good evening out. Uh, I've never seen Fame or Grease 2. Uh, I really hope that I'll never see either, frankly. <laughs> but that's just me. That's my taste. Why do you ask? Well, there's a clip that's doing the rounds on the internet today. And admittedly, the clip has been doing the rounds for about a year now. Okay, it's just the first time I'd seen it. Cutting anyway, edge here at Screen Watching. Well, I, I think it's just that it's like resurged. Sure. So like, you know, I was doing a bit of a small trip, but I think it just like really exploded today. It's a clip of uh, the, the adventures of Greece take place at Rydell High, which mm -hmm. I'm sure we're all aware of. And it's a scene which takes place while there's uh, some athletics taking place. So people are jumping over hurdles and going backwards and forwards up a racetrack. Yes. Anyway, there's an unfortunate extra who has clearly... Look, I don't know what's happened. I think the polite phrase for this is wardrobe malfunction. Has and what? A watered... Uh a wardrobe malfunction. Yeah, okay. And and so as he's jumping over the hurdles, uh, he's lost his manhood um, oh. through the bottom of his shorts. It has um it has freed itself of any encumbrances and is Absolutely. out there swinging in the breeze as they say. Yeah, lesson for all extras on sets and for minor day players that you know, maybe you should just make sure that there's no danger of anything uh, springing free. Oh. But anyway, I saw this, and here's the thing. I was talking to a mate of mine, and he said, like, how has nobody ever noticed this? And I'm like, it's taken them 40 years. Yeah. Yeah, I don't remember it at North Sydney Cinema. I don't remember it. I'm talking about it after the movie. Not at all. Yeah, and you had it right there up on the big screen. I did. I had it right there in front of me. I didn't notice it, but at that age, I probably wouldn't have known what to look for. So... Wow, that is really interesting. I'm going to duck. I'm going to it's sort of. It's on one of the streaming platforms, isn't it? I think it's streaming on a couple of them at the moment. Sure. It's widely considered one of the worst sequels ever. Um, it was certainly a film that was had its own voice. It didn't try to copy the original Grease. It was directed by the woman who did the choreography on the first film, but not the first film's director. <laughs> so um, that maybe says something. And it was to be a star-making turn for Michelle Pfeiffer. That didn't happen till a, a few years later, I guess. So, And yeah. it apparently uh, had peen in it, so who knew? Yeah, exactly. Anyway, I just think that it really speaks to the power of cinema that 40 years later we're still talking about it. This is not like TV only battle. Television! Teacher, mother. Secret lover. What? That's it? That's your movie? Well, I said that I had an idea for it. Folks, as we said at the top, this is Watching. It's our weekly discussion about the things we've watched on screens. My name is Dan Barrett. Simon Foster's the guy talking to me. Dan, I have had a very hectic week. I'm nearing deadline on the film festival, so I'm getting stuff in from all over the world. Um, we have got a few things lined up to watch this week, which have taken up some of my time. Dare I say, wasted some of my time. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, there's it's, it's just been a very busy week all around. I haven't got to any of the Sydney Film Festival screenings. My apologies to the festival team there. I said I'd try and get along, but it's just been too dung busy. So you didn't get along to, uh, what's the name of that? I think it's just called Elvis. No, I haven't seen Elvis yet. Got that locked yeah. in, got that lined up for the, um, in a couple of weeks time or next Wednesday, I think we'll be seeing because that starts yeah. next week. Uh, a couple of reviews I heard from the punters out there. They didn't care for it. Have you? Yeah. See now my, my wife and I, we're Elvis fans. We got engaged wearing Elvis costumes out at parks at the annual Elvis celebration out there. Um, she saw it and it eventually won her over, were her words. She found the first um, hour tough going, but the second hour completely winning. So um, I'm keen to make up my own mind, although I generally think what she thinks, because that's what marriage is. Um, <laughs> sure. I, 
<laughs> I'm, I'm keen to see. It. You haven't seen it yet, have you? Uh, no, I mean, I'm a, look, I'm a big Elvis fan, but I don't think I could bring myself to watch another Baz Luhrmann movie. Oh, I'm not yes. Gonna do it. You're an anti-Bazite, aren't you? Yeah. Well, okay. in my defense, and to paraphrase the great movie Office Space, uh, why should I change my views? He's the one that sucks. <laughs> You're not the first to say that. Baz is a, a divisive individual. You're certainly not the first to have taken that point of view. So, hey, we'll see what he's got to say. Yeah. Anyway, Simon, we've got things to talk about this week on the show. I'm Good taking one. a look at uh, three TV shows. I'm going to take a gander at Dark Winds. It's a new drama series on AMC+. Right. The Lazarus Project, which is a new show dropping on Stan. Okay. And also Iron Chef, Quest for an Iron Legend. Wow. Which is the Iron Chef revival series there on Netflix. That's interesting. I'll be looking at Interceptor, which is a film nobody's talking about at all, except anyone who's watching Netflix, apparently. It's one of their big items at the moment, a little Aussie film. Um, I'll have something to say about that movie. And also Lightyear, the big new Pixar film, which is kind of an origin story of for the Buzz Lightyear toy doll character. Um, yes, like I say, it was a fun week at the movies. Yeah, absolutely. Look, I find it interesting that we're here talking about the movies and TV shows that are the big titles of the week. Mm. Not once in the last couple of weeks, Simon, have I heard you review Triple R. Which, that is a great point. I watched it through the week, and I'm, I'm so glad you brought it up because I'd had a lot of people raving to me about Triple R. This is the three-hour um, Indian film epic uh, that people are talking about as reviving the thrill and the art and the glory of cinema, and it is all those things in only the true Hollywood, uh, Bollywood way it can be. Um, maybe I should give it a full review next week. Let's, do you, do you want, have you seen it? Do you want to talk about it now, or should we do it on next week's show? God knows I've got nothing else to talk about. Look, I'll try to watch it before next week. I can't guarantee I'll have the time. I've got like a big backlog of stuff I need to get through. I'm sorry to hear that. Okay. Well, yeah. um, let's uh, let's talk about it next week. But it's called Triple R. If you get a chance to watch it, screen watches between now and then, um, join in the discussion when I talk about it next week. But yeah, it's, I'm very excited to, to have a chat about it. Yeah. So next week, we'll talk about one of the biggest movies in the world. But this week, we'll just talk about some just general crap. Just junk. Yeah, whatever. Anyway, Simon, on to the reviews. I think we all know that's not the right thing, is it? Nope. It stinks. Okay, Simon, in the spirit of professionalism, uh, I'm just going to make a decision. I'll go first. Okay, you go first. Yeah, okay. Cool. Good production um, value. Excellent work. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I'm going to talk to you about a new AMC Plus series. It's called Dark Winds. And then I'm going to play a clip. Sorry for the YouTube viewers, you're not going to be able to listen to some audio. Because I haven't figured out how to do Final Cut Pro yet, so I would put a clip in here if I knew how to do that, um, but that'll be a, that's a 2023 thing. Yeah, 2023, <laughs> that is optimistic based on the current trajectory of your audio editing <laughs> skills. Hey Simon, can you do me a clip of that thing that you want me to play? No. <laughs> What's okay, a Google? Okay, here we go. <laughs> and on we go. Two people were murdered at the motel last night. But the scene suggests foul play. Dark Winds is a crime procedural drama with a pretty major twist. Set in 1971, the show set in an outpost of a Navajo nation. Our series lead is Lieutenant Joe Leaphorn of the Tribal Police and his brand new deputy, Jim Chi. Chi just turns up in the first episode, straight after Leonard, Lieutenant Leaphorn has started investigating the mysterious deaths of a pair in a dodgy motel room. Now, the FBI are also investigating this mystery, and a big question looming over this first episode is, what is the FBI's connection to this new deputy cop? Ooh, mysterious. Mm. Now, look, if Darkwind sounds familiar, it's because it's based on a book series by Tony Hillerman. Some of the names attached to the show are very familiar to you as well. You've got Game of Thrones creator George R.R. R. Martin and some guy you might have heard of before named Robert Redford. Yeah, Simon's eyes are bugging out of his head right I now. I know, that's very exciting. I didn't know any of this about Dark Winds. I'm very excited. Yeah, hold tight. You're going to hear some more. So look, George R.R. R. Martin, he's there as a proxy for the, his late friend, Tony Hillerman. Uh, but Redford, he's actually had the film rights to Dark Winds since 1985, hence why he's still involved here. Uh. In the past, he's produced a feature film adaptation in the early 90s, and he's uh, made a couple of TV movies in the years since based on the characters. 
and they were really eager to make sure that the new version of the show was actually told by Native American creatives, which is what we have here with the new version, which is helmed by director Chris Eyre, who's the guy that made Smoke Signals, <gasps> if you ever came across that film. One of my favourite movies. This has instantly gone to the top of my must-watch list. Yeah, uh, you just have to get yourself an AMC+. Plus. Yes, I guess I will. I'll teach you how to do that later. Okay, so Dark Winds, it's a detective murder mystery show, but the murders have a supernatural mystical element to all of them. It keeps the whole affair feeling a lot more fresh than it otherwise would be, as so much of the show actually feels like a fairly generic rural procedural drama. Now, if you've got access to AMC+, you will happily devour the series. It fits in really nicely with their library of nicely textured grown-up premium dramas, but I actually can't make a strong case for signing up to this show alone. It's pretty good, but as I said, it's just a procedural cop drama. So look, it's good, but there's so much around right now that's also very good that, you know, um, choose your own... Uh, destiny with this one it's like it's there it's fine you're not going to be disappointed by it but there is just a glut of really quite good things out which is probably why i haven't zeroed in on it to have a look at in the the last few days um also the fact it is it's on amc plus and nobody's talking about amc plus yeah i don't know which is a shame because the library's small but much like apple tv the library that i've got is actually really quite like you know substantial in terms of quality if not necessarily quantity so you know sign up for a month or two to mc plus burn through it all and then come back in a few months time and i think you're going to have a pretty good reliable service on your hands to dip in and out of chris says smoke signals is a film from i think the mid 90s um which is has gone into the li uh, library national registry library in the u.s and is widely considered as as one of the best sort of contemporary films about native american life um and it is just a beautiful brilliant film so the fact that that chris is involved in in the making of this um I might even chase him down for an interview and see, see if I can talk to him because he's a man, he's a filmmaker who I've admired for a long, long time. So Dark Winds is on the hard-to-find but really give it a free trial kind of thing platform, AMC+. Plus. So if people don't know how to get AMC+, Plus, there isn't an app to download for it. What you need to do is sign up through Apple TV, have a service called Channels. Mm -hmm. So if you load up the Apple TV Plus um, app on your various devices, you can subscribe through that and then it gets billed through your Apple. And if you are an Amazon customer, you can also do it through like an Amazon Fire, which they've got the Amazon channels as well. So you do it through their channels, not through a direct app, which okay. makes it a bit complicated and hard to recommend to people. But yeah, like clock that's how you do it. It's easy, it's easy enough. It just means that the show starts loading in your Amazon or Apple TV interface. Okay. All right. It's called Dark yeah. Winds. It should be watched by all accounts if you can find the time. What oh, should sorry, I talk yeah. Sorry, can I just go uh, AMC Plus as well? If you sign up to AMC Plus, it actually gives you access to Shutter and also Acorn TV. Yes. So it's actually really quite a good deal in terms of the volume of content you get. So I was a bit dismissive talking about the volume of content on AMC Plus, but in terms of like Australia, if you're subscribing to it, you actually get access to a raft of really great library content for. I'm not even sure. I think it's maybe eight ninety nine a month. It's a good deal. That's pretty good because we've had a couple of the, some talent from the Acorn TV slate on on the show here as interviews. And um, Shudder, if you're a horror head, you just have to be getting diving deep into the Shudder. This week, the Phil Tippett stop motion nightmare called Mad God uh, premieres on Shudder. So that's the sort of quality stuff you'll get from all over the world. Look, we'll talk about that in uh, uh, what else is playing this week. Okay. Later on, yeah. But anyway, Simon, uh, you're going to review for us a movie called Lightyear. What's it about? Is it an art film? Buzz Lightyear mission log, Stargate 3901. After a full year of being marooned, our first hyperspeed test flight is a go. Who are you talking to? Uh, no one. You were narrating again. I was not. Just doing the mission log. You do know no one ever listens to those. I know that. Narrating helps me focus. So, the setup is that this is a film that Andy watched back in 1995 that made him buy a Buzz Lightyear action figure which set in motion the Toy Story franchise, which already positions Lightyear, which is the latest in an increasingly long line of okay but not great films from the, the once almighty Pixar people, as a terribly flawed premise. But I'm going to double back to that later on. I want to make some other points first. It's directed uh, for the first time, first time director, a guy called Angus McLean, who's been doing decades in the, the Pixar trenches as an animator. And it introduces us to Space Ranger Lightyear at just a point 
in his career, this square-jawed hero is off in space. It's sort of a, an origin story, but it's not really because it just sort of picks up of him as a growing man, and it's kind of the toy's origin story, I guess. Um, Buzz in the movie is on a deep space mission with his superior officer and best friend Hawthorne, voiced by Uzo Udabu. Uh, but things go bad, leaving, leaving him and subsequent generations of humans on a distant rock. He wants to see the mission out, even as time jumps and quantum physics takes over and kids love quantum physics um all those around him start to wage until his friend hawthorne moves on in life and he's left almost the same age um but soon despite all that coming and throwing with time travel the future looks unsavable robots have taken control keeping the remaining humans prisoner in their own laser domed city so buzz takes it on himself his robot cat socks and a ragtag trio of unlikely heroes to rid the remnants of mankind of the robot menace now Lightyear is a big widescreen adventure uh, coloured in with the kind of photorealistic CGI backgrounds and character detail that makes it absolutely state-of-the-art in 2022 and entirely inconceivable in 1995. A great deal of this film feels at odds with what we loved about Buzz as a 1995 toy because as a human, especially one voiced by Chris Evans, he's a bit dull. Um, most egregiously inconceivable of all for a Disney film from 1995 is the character Hawthorne's long-term same-sex relationship, but it's in there. Given Disney's recent internal strife involving the don't-say-gay idiocy and the corporation's feeble stand during the controversy, it makes this plot point feel particularly disingenuous and entirely unrealistic in terms of the premise of the film. And while it isn't inconceivable that Andy might have got a kick out of all the colour and movement on show and a few giggle uh, giggles out of Peter Son's voice work as Socks and I don't know why he wasn't in the Toy Story films as a toy because he would have been great um, it is <laughs> unlikely that a 10 year old would have been obsessed with such a cumbersome oddly uninvolving story in 1995 or frankly why they would in 2022 for that matter I know as a kid, I watched a lot of cumbersome, really uninspired stories as a kid and was very much <laughs> enraptured by them. So yeah, maybe, maybe it's actually really fitting the bill perfectly. Yeah, maybe they get it exactly right in that regard. But it's a very strange... And I sort of became very obsessed about, well, that wouldn't have happened in 1995. How could this have been away in 1995? And I, it, it, The premise never just rang true for me, which maybe it took me out of the film because I found this a bit of a chore to get through, to be honest. Yeah, look, I don't really enjoy when you see the film inside the film sort of business. Yeah. Like, it just kind of feels like a novelty. It reminds me of Michael Scott finally show, uh, showing in an episode of The Office, Threat Level Midnight, a film that he was supposedly working on for quite a number of years. Okay. And then finally, at the end of the series, they decided to show it. Like, you know, it was fine. It's kind of funny for a minute or two, but I can't imagine sitting through an entire feature film of this. Yeah. Yeah, spectacular, colourful in parts, and you can tell that he was an animator on The Incredibles because a lot of it borrows very heavily from that incredible styling of the way they shot action in that that masterpiece, um, but it doesn't stand alone. So it's called Lightyear. It's in a huge, wide release at the moment. Okay, let's move on. I'm going to talk about The Lazarus Project. Freaks you out at first, doesn't it? I need to know what's going on. We're a top-secret organisation dedicated to preventing and undoing mass extinction events. Oh, and we can make time go backwards. Welcome to the Lazarus Project, George. Hey, Simon, have you got any plans for the weekend? Now, I hope you've made room for an eight-hour UK drama you've never even heard of up until 30 seconds ago, because the <laughs> Lazarus Project is exactly the sort of easy-to-watch, engaging enough drama that once you get started on it, you will absolutely devour this thing. Okay. All right. I'll move a few things around. Oh, please do. You've got nothing going on. <laughs> okay. Anyway, okay. So the show is from Joe Barton, who you may know as the writer behind Giri Haji, which was a really neat UK drama about a Japanese police detective who was trying to solve a murder in the UK. Uh, became a bit of a quiet success story on Netflix a couple of years ago. Anyway, that show, like The Lazarus Project, is a really smooth, easy-to-watch drama. Plot-wise, The Lazarus Project follows George. He's the guy in a relationship with his girlfriend, Sarah. Life's going well for them. And he's just launched a successful digital company. She's fallen pregnant just after they get married. And all is falling perfectly into place in their lives. In their bliss, they've largely ignored the increasing number of sick people around them. There's a pandemic on and it's getting worse. Eventually, Sarah gets sick. They go to the hospital and bam, 
George wakes up in a bed next to Sarah six months prior. But just like every time travel story we've ever seen, we see that the smallest changes have consequences. He misses a meeting with the bank to get funding for his company. He starts obsessing over the disease. Sarah loses interest in him. They don't get married. They don't have a kid. And then six months later, bam, George is waking up next to Sarah once more. Wow. What's going on? Why is the Lazarus Project, a shadowy karaoke loving organization behind the time loop interested in George? And these are questions that are answered early enough in the first episode, but I don't want to strip away too much of the discovery here. Now, outside of Joe Barton, I wasn't familiar with anyone else associated with the show, and I hope I'm getting this name right, uh, Papa Esadu as George. He's hugely charismatic, and I really like Charlie Clive, who plays Sarah. The two have amazing chemistry on screen, which goes a really long way to establishing the credibility in a show that has such a wild premise. Make time for The Lazarus Project. It goes down very easy. Well, that sounds interesting. I did not know a squat about this uh, this the TV show. Uh, it's on stand. It's called The Lazarus Project. You've sold me. That was a great review. You opened that up really nicely and, and totally got me in. So, uh, as well, I mentioned some- your name. As yeah, well, that's true. I always pay attention when you mention my name. Um, as a sci-fi <laughs> buff. Um, and someone who likes picking apart the ridiculousness of time travel while at the same time enjoying them. Um, I'm going to uh, check out the Lazarus Project on Stan. You're right, maybe not in one eight-hour block. I do have things to do like, you know, bathe and sleep, but um, I, will, I will definitely watch it. I think you'll find yourself watching a few more episodes of this than you intend to. Okay, I'm in. I'm totally in. I'm yeah. down. Okay, how hip. <laughs> All right, I'm going to have a look at a film called Interceptor. And yes, it is a film. We're the only interceptor platform protecting from a nuclear missile attack. We have a situation. Unauthorized missile removal. What the hell's going on up there? We are under attack! You up for this? Don't worry about me, sir. Interceptor, what is your status? Seven terrorists seized our vessel, and they tried to take the command center. Director Matthew Riley is on record over this past week saying he's, quote, confused. I did the bunny ears for those of you watching on YouTube and at home. Um, Confused that his debut film Interceptor has been a top five charter for Netflix since it dropped a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'll bet he is. This C-level diehard rip, uh, which looks like it was shot in two rooms against Zoom meeting backdrops, is pure trash cinema, fronted by an actress called Elsa Pataki, who's a Byron Bay influencer and actress, and probably best world known as Miss Chris Hemsworth. Um, the story, oh, okay. yeah, it, the story is is ripped from the weekly rental sections of a 1988 video store. Introduces dedicated naval officer Captain J. J. Collins, whose career was derailed when she wouldn't stay quiet in the wake of a superior's inappropriate behaviour. She has to accept a placement on an interceptor platform far offshore. Now, interceptor bases stop any Russian missile launch from decimating U.S. society. So you'd think there'd be a lot of them. In this film, there's only two. And the other one, in a CGI snowbound Alaska, has been overrun by the baddies. Now, Captain Collins reports for duty the same day that the ocean platform base is seized by what one assumes are Russian forces, but which in turn turn out to be mercenaries, led by Alex Castle, who's played pretty well by Luke Bracey. He's an okay bad guy, um, whose operatives have stolen 16 Russian ICBMs. Now, Collins barricades herself in the control centre, which is kind of the only set the the whole film uses, making her the last woman standing against those who are fine with the death of millions for a big payday. Now, it's a premise that might be a huge action epic in the hands of Michael Bay, who'd certainly make this kind of dreck, and James Cameron, who certainly wouldn't, but which mostly just becomes Colin dispatching a parade of cliched bad guys that would seem overly familiar, even if you'd never seen a tropey dime a dozen action pick. Um, Matthew Riley co-wrote this script. Yep, it took two writers. Uh, with Stuart Beatty, who has a lot of Hollywood cred. He wrote Collateral, the Tom Cruise film, 30 Days of Night, and the aforementioned Baz Luhrmann's Australia. And yes, that's Thor himself as a dopey retail clerk featured in cutaways that are meant to be funny but aren't but in every respect interceptor is low rent logic free nonsense it's it's occasionally so bad it's good but mostly just the kind of insipid filler for which netflix is becoming identified it's on netflix as we speak and an incredible number of people are watching it so good luck to him for us getting the making a success of it but boy it's um it's junk it's hard to believe that something written by Matthew Riley might not be very good. 
Do you know of him? I didn't know anything about him. He's an author. He's written many successful books. If you okay. go down to your local Angus and Robertson, <laughs> but they still exist. We're back uh, in 1988 again. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'll, I'll go from well, the video store down yeah. to Angus and Robertson's. But like it was, it was the late eight, uh, late ninety, the 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 late nineties, early two thousands. I'm pretty sure that Matthew Riley started making his bones. So, okay. Yeah. All right. Well, he's done all right with his first film. Uh, you know, I guess. Hey, have you read? Before we jump onto the next one, have you read some of the? Um, nastiness coming out about the new chris hemsworth miles tiller uh netflix film spiderhead it was all shot up in queensland uh variety's um, review led with um netflix has hit a new low with spiderhead i think they need to watch more netflix i think it's pretty hard <laughs> to hit a new low there's some pretty dire things in there wow so i it, it we i haven't had a chance to watch it yet but i, I might sort of queue up that one for next week's show as well because i love a good bad movie anyway i did interrupt the segment do go on there's so many amazing things in the world you could be watching, Simon. <laughs> so many. Anyway, one of the things I'm going to talk about is Iron Chef Quest for an Iron Legend. Wow. Let us prepare for the biggest battle this kitchen has ever seen. This is the moment we have all been waiting for. Welcome to Kitchen Stadium. This is Iron Chef. The challenging chefs already top their games, come to prove themselves against the Iron Chefs. Through what my memory tells me was the early 2000s, I spent a great deal of time watching Iron Chef. It was broadcast here on SBS, and the Japanese cooking show was just a little bit daffy. The food being cooked was, well, very different to the sort of food that we saw here in Australia. But there was ch a chairman who began every episode biting into a capsicum, there was the kind of odd dubbing, and there was always that one soap opera actress in the final round judging panel who offered her inane views alongside actual food critics who seems to have opinions based on knowing something about food. And this is a show that I adore. There's no one specific reason why. It's the confluence of odyssey around the show that just works. It is TV magic. But magic can never be replicated. And there's a reason I never took to the US version of the show back in the day when they adapted it. And with this new version of Netflix, well, it's a remake of the US version, and it tries to be a little bit weird, but the odyssey that you really need from Iron Chef, it's just a little bit over-egged. So, Iron Chef quest for an Iron Legend. It isn't the Iron Chef that we love. But the question for this review is, is it a show worth your time? And to that I say, it's fine. I mostly liked it. The first episode's got Curtis Stone in it, so it's kind of interesting to watch a quasi-hometown guy as an Iron Chef master. But the real selling point for me on the show is that one of the co-hosts is Kristen Kish. She's a former Top Chef contestant and runs a Texas restaurant called Arlo Gray. I know her as a co-host on a really fun true TV show called Fast Foodies. On Iron Chef, it feels like she isn't free to exhibit her personality, as she does on Fast Foodies, but I find this to be such a winning presence on TV that I'm all in watching this new Iron Chef, even if I'm not entirely digging it that much. Don't go into it expecting to find the same off-kilter charm of the original, but you know what? It's perfectly fine. I remember with such fondness the craze for the original Iron Chef. It was everywhere, and I'm... And, and I have, and I know I'm going to cop a barrage of your abuse, as I do every time I admit I haven't seen one of your favourite shows. But I haven't seen a single episode of Iron Chef. But I had it all what? around me when what? I give it when I had it what? all around me when it was a huge thing. So I don't know how I did not see it. But um, um, yeah, I, I, I is this so? Is this a like a rekindling or like a reboot of the original premise, or are they is it a a, a different kind of Iron Chef? Uh, it's kind of like they rejigged the format a little bit. So yeah. they rejigged the format slightly for the US version. Right. And then this is a remake of the US version. Okay. So I think maybe the co-host of Kirsten Kish, uh, Kristen Kish, and I didn't look this up, but I probably should have. I think he might have been one of the hosts of the original version, maybe. Okay. But I, I'm not like a Iron Chef US, like, you know. Do I'm we file it? Do we file it under a necessary reboot, or do we file it under a uh, further um, strip mining of nostalgia for nostalgia's sake? Uh, look, no reboot is ever necessary. That's and true. And the answer to your question is both. All right, I can wear that. Fair enough. Yeah. 
Iron Chef, Quest for an Iron Legend is on Netflix as we speak. I also should mention and kind of apologize, I didn't get to the movies this week to see Men. Now, it is the new film from uh, visionary filmmaker Alex Garland. He did Ex Machina and Annihilation. Um, It stars the wonderful Jessie Buckley as a woman dealing with grief. She heads to live in the English countryside all by herself, hoping to heal. Um, But she senses that there's a presence, something is stalking her, something in the woods, someone or something. Um, and this dread becomes a fully formed nightmare says the press release Um, it's a feverish shape-shifting new horror film I'm going to try and see it before next week's show and give us all a bit of a rundown it's called Men um, and it's in limited release how many movies are you planning to review next weekend I don't know it's going to be a long show because I've lined up about eight so far I think I'm washing my hair Including a well, you've got to, you've got to watch the three hour Indian thing that you brought up the the triple R, which I can't remember what the three R's stand for, but I know it's meaningful. Reading, writing, arithmetic. Jeez, <laughs> oh, um, what else have you been watching, Dan? Uh, look, I've actually seen very little this week on um, account of the fact that I've just been a busy man out in the world doing stuff. Yeah, you got a job. That's the problem. Yeah, that is the problem. <laughs> um, so nothing. nothing you didn't want you did- there. No, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, is this a, is this the tumbleweed portion of the video? program? This is a bit of a tumbleweed because you've got you finished watching the offer there, which oh, I no, thought no. was an interesting. Here's the thing: I told you um, I was going to talk about that, but then we decided to move up the podcast uh-huh. recording by a night, and so I haven't actually watched the last episode of the offer, even though it's oh, waiting there for you right see? now. Okay, well, that's where the problem is. That's what the downside of having a running sheet. So I do apologize. Crisis in Six Scenes is what I watched. Now, this has been in my queue since (laughs) a long time. Yeah, very topical. But I finally got around to watching it. It's on Amazon Prime. It's a six-part comedy series of... Comedy drama, I guess. Sorry, starring the, the, the writer director for this has mate. been cancelled and recancelled like fifteen times since it's been released. Yeah, I know, I know. It's a twenty fifteen, <laughs> maybe twenty sixteen show. Stars Miley Cyrus and a and a certain comedian who has undergone some degree of controversy of late. Um, you, I'm you still a fan, is. and I found. Well, it's Woody Allen. I'm still a fan. I found this very funny. Um, Elaine May is one of my all-time favorite comedians and writers, the work she did with Mike Nichols back in the 60s and 70s. And she was the lady who wrote and directed Ishtar, which I will defend till the day I die as being a very funny movie. Um, and she stars as, alongside Woody, Har- uh, Woody Harrelson, Woody Allen as the um, wife in this piece of 1960-cent uh, uh, middle-class nonsense. I had a lot of laughs in this. Um, so, yes, if you don't mind watching Woody Allen do his Woody Allen shtick and can put behind you uh, the horrible horribleness of his life over the last few years, it, it's good for, good for a watch. Probably I actually think on. you might be the only person on God's Green Earth who's liked the series, I believe even Woody Allen has said that it's not really much chop. Oh, really? Because it's very, very funny in parts. And <laughs> he's I mean, been very dismissive. It's been plus it was right at that start of the streamers kind of throwing big money and creative freedom at big names and you know they to get them to come to the because i remember when this came out it was like wow woody allen's on on and miley cyrus are doing a thing together on amazon prime whatever that is so it sort of made us sit up and take notice a bit but um like i say it's been sitting in my waiting list my wish list for a long long time okay uh simon shall we move on let's move on Okay, Simon, earlier in the week, I sent through a list of topics we could talk about. You've chosen this one. I did because the other two were entirely inappropriate, but I'm glad I chose this one. Look, just because, look, there was a suggestion that uh, John Hinckley Jr. is now out of prison. <laughs> God. And then it only went from there. Yeah, yeah. You don't want to spell it out for the listeners? No, it's probably best that I <laughs> it's don't. It's probably best that we do not know. Um, but what we did settle on, there's news coming out of Netflix that they're making a competition show out of Squid Game. How, can you explain this to me? How, can you explain it to me? Okay, so there was a very popular TV show. It's called Squid Game. I know of it. And so Netflix have decided to make a reality game show version out of the TV show, which was kind of a massive game show. So in Squid Game, if you're the one person that didn't see the series, basically the idea is that there's a whole bunch of poor people 
uh, they're brought in to uh, compete in these games, which turns out to be for the entertainment of some wealthy, um, we'll call them land barons, whatever, sure. just wealthy people. Uh, and so these games end up sort of leading people to be quite badly beaten or murdered, just brutally slain. It was a very unfriendly um, game to them physically. And it has to play a number of rounds of different types of what were ostensibly kids' games with some pretty brutal responses. And there was like 400-odd people at the beginning, and then they start whittling them out as the show goes on. So this so reality make a reality be effectively yeah, how are they playing gonna do that? the games from Squid Game. But not obviously being slaughtered. Well, or the or, same way you do any other reality show. Oh, yeah, wow. they'll just they'll just use the same games and then they'll just whittle people down until the very end when they give away like 40-odd million dollars or 400 million, I forget what it is. So the premise for our middle bit is what other drama series should be turned into game shows? Now, I find yeah. this fascinating because I think there's a lot of interesting ideas here. You want to kick this I off? I thought it was a really interesting idea when I came up with it. Yeah, it was And then about 20 minutes before I started recording the podcast, I was like, oh, God, what am I going to come up with here? But then it's <laughs> the list that I came up with, and I think I've got some good ones here. All right, let's hear it. I've got, I've got five here. So I've chosen five TV shows. I didn't, I didn't work in the movie realm this time around, so I've got five. So you kick us off. Okay, I brought a few movies into this, but here we okay. go. So I'm going to start with a movie. Now, in this movie, there's, it actually has a sequence where they play a Capture the Flag game. It's a movie called Starship Troopers. <laughs> and almost every major like set piece in this is actually a catch the flag sort of a scenario. Yes, it is. And so I figure you could do a Starship Troopers reality composition game show, ah. which is just a series of versions of capture the flag, but with big beastly monsters around that you've got to also maybe shoot down with machine guns or something. Okay. So we're on a, we're, we, we were thinking of a similar thing here because, because that's exactly the kind of stuff that I've come up with for mine. I'm going to jump in and say one now. I yeah. think Walking Dead or, or any of its spinoffs, you could have like an eight-week series and you place contestants in a, this closed environment with mm. with zombies, you know, popping in on them, the producers. It's kind of like a Big Brother thing, but with zombies and they have to be out in the open and it has so it becomes kind of like a naked and afraid, but like really afraid. So back in the early to mid-2000s, there was a reality show set up by, I think it was Spike TV in the US, mm. and it was called The Joe Schmo Show. And right. what was kind of interesting about this is it was kind of a bit like Big Brother, except instead of having a large group of contestants, you actually only had one contestant, and he thought he was playing in a game with a whole bunch of other people who were in a Big Brother-style household, but they were all just like low-level comedians and actors who were playing the roles of various characters. And so he's, he's interacting with all these fake, like, ridiculous people, wow. not realising that he's kind of the butt of this entire show, like butt of the joke of the show. Interesting. Okay. But I started thinking about that, and I thought, what about the TV show 24? There's... In the first season of that, there's an ongoing storyline about there being a mole within CTU, which is, um, the U stands for unit, C probably stands for crime, and criminal terrorist unit, that might sure. be it. It's been a few years. But anyway, there was a mole within there, and I thought, well, couldn't you maybe play this a little bit like Joe Schmo show? And so you've got one person who has to try to work out who the mole is with all the other actors around in CTU all playing their roles, and so he has to figure out who it is that's the mole. Or she could do it, sure. Yeah, um, I mean, and no, Kiefer's not doing anything. He'd he'd step up for the gig for sure. Well, he can pop in. Like you just have in, like yeah. a real life person. You're Joe Schmo. That's a good idea. We're coming up with some good ideas here. These are all copyrighted, of course. Once we say them, you know, don't steal them and make a fortune because we've got yeah, first sure. Grab, we've got first grabs at them. Sure, um, we're leaning on other people's like usually like borrowed IP, but whatever. Sure. Yeah. Um, now the next one I thought, and then I sort of rethought it. It would probably end up looking a little bit like Survivor, but I thought that Lost could be turned into a. Um, sort of like a I'm a celebrity, get me out of here kind of show, but with a lot of weird things happening that may or may not be clues and that a group of people have to try to decipher those clues to figure out their own reality. And I thought I thought that might work as a, as a twisting, turning game show type of mystery thing. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called Survivor. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it's called Survivor too. That's what I thought. So what's your next yeah. one? Uh, my next one, and I don't know how much you're across this film. You might be. You might surprise me, but maybe it's also one of these things you've heard of but just never seen. 
Have you seen the mid-90s director VHS classic, although I think it played in US cinemas maybe, Empire Records? Yes, of course I have. Many, well, many times over. It's a cult classic. Pick, the kids love that. You weren't a 15-year-old in 1995. So I was no watching a lot of movies. Up. Anything that came out I saw, and I saw that many times over, with um, Liv Tyler and Ethan Embry and yeah. the other guy with a shirt on. And, uh, yeah, there was lots of them. Are you, th- are you thinking of Grease 2's Maxwell Caulfield? I'm not. Who I called Holden Caulfield for years and years until someone reminded me that it was Maxwell Caulfield, who's married to uh, that woman from The Parent Trap in real life. What's her name? Hayley Mills. Really? Yeah. They've they've been a hot and heavy item for quite some time now. We're getting away from the premise of the middle bit, Dan. We should I think so. But I think we just found something far more interesting. Empire Records. Empire Records, because the premise of that movie was that they had to raise money to save the record store. And it culminates in a giant concert at the end. Right. And I'm thinking over the course of eight to ten episodes, you can easily have a group of young, funky, like, record store looking employees who each have to engage in various tasks to raise money to save the record store. That's a great idea. And what, you yeah. mean like travel between different record stores? No, no, like the one record store. And so the idea is they want to raise enough money to... I, I haven't really thought that part of it through, but... <laughs> what, the sentence you mean or the whole concept? Well, just the whole concept as to why they need to save the record store. <laughs> but the hey, idea sure. is that they just have to raise money like within a record store environment. Yep. Love it. Good yeah. idea. Good mm. idea. Well, um, it's an see- idea. I don't know if it's a good idea. This is this is uh, it was a TV series and then it became a very successful movie. The Fugitive is something that I think could be a great cross country race. You give a contestant a goal, obviously some kind of uh, reward at the end of it, and a bit murder of a head their start. Wife. Yeah, exactly. Um, no, you don't murder the wife. Don't say that. No, um, and you <laughs> give them a bit of a head start, and they have to get there and not get caught along the way. Now, having said all of that. I get the feeling there was kind of a show which sort of tracked people from point may, A to point B. May I introduce you to the reality series Hunted, where they Hunted. had a couple of seasons in the UK, yep. one very good season in the US that I think was better than UK ones, and is coming to Channel 10 in Australia in the next couple of months. No way. Really? Way. That's essentially The Fugitive. And, and, and as I sort of thought of the premise for it and wrote down what I wrote down about it, I'm thinking, I'm sure I've seen this before where, where you know, people get tracked down and, and, you know, they're tracking credit cards and all those sort of things. They're given a certain mm. amount of information to get from point A to point B. So, okay, so clearly we're on the right track here. Okay, I thought about, like, trying to adapt Mad Men into a reality show composition game. Yep. And I realised it's just a drinking composition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, anyway, it's probably not, you know, I'm not sure it's really quite going to work. So then I thought, and this is like such an obvious, like a reality show sort of a premise. I don't really need to explain how it would work too much, but some sort of reality show based on it's a mad, 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 mad world and or wacky races and or rat race. Right. Yeah, of course. Rat race is yeah. one of my favorites. So yes, which would be to travel the countryside looking for a whole lot of clues that then lead to uh, a huge payday at the end. Isn't yeah, race, while driving in like wacky world? cars. While, <laughs> while driving in wacky cars. Yeah, because that's kind of race around the world, but... We're well, thinking of The Amazing Race. Oh, the Amazing Race, yes. Of course I am. Okay. The, and the last one I thought of, and it's kind of a no-brainer, and it's sort of already been done in that series where you have to live in like oldie times. Um, I thought of Downton Abbey adaptation where you put the participants right in the middle and they either have to adapt to the life upstairs and learn all about etiquette and learn all about the wonderful, (laughs) you know, or or they've got to adapt to the life downstairs and learn how to be a maid and prepare, you know, stout pudding. I'm amazed this hasn't happened yet. I'm so, frankly, so am I. Um, There you go. You got Okay, I've got... I've got two more. Both of these are movies. The first one, I thought, and this is a really obvious one, the movie Cube. Oh, my God. (laughs) Have you seen the movie Cube? You know what happens to them? Oh, look, it doesn't end well for a lot of them. (laughs) It's not end well for a lot of them. Okay. People have to be eliminated from the composition. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Anyway, my final... My final one, and people might say this is a little bit too family orientated for your, like your tastes and mine, but you know I'm going for it anyway. Uh, what about some sort of reality composition game based on Human Centipede? Well, I'm all for that, of course. But how would you make it work? That's 
Well, it's, it's kind of like a uh, like a MasterChef style thing. So <laughs> it's really about food preparation and pleasing. Uh, the middle bit hits a new low. Oh, my God. <laughs> Simon, let's move on, shall we? All righty. Okay. What's uh, movies debuting on streaming this week? Three really interesting ones that I thought I'd mention very quickly. Um, on Netflix from so, the 19th. Suddenly my John Hinckley Jr. suggestion wasn't looking so bad, was it? Yeah, I, I know. I'll have to give that a second thought. We might return to that. Um, <laughs> a documentary called Civil Ben Crump. This is a, a very intimate look at the life of a civil rights attorney called Ben Crump and his mission to raise the value of black life in America. He is a significant individual in this documentary on Netflix from the 19th um, gives a real insight into the man and his mission. Also on Netflix on the 22nd is a very cute uh, film called Love and Gelato. Mmm, gelato. Uh, this is the story of Lena, a young, <coughs> excuse me, a young American in search of herself, her roots in, in Rome, and of course, a lot of gelato. And then on HBO from the 19th, or you can rent it on Prime here in Australia, Tom and Jerry Cowboy Up. It's all set in the Wild West and our cartoon heroes help a cowgirl and her brother save their homestead from a greedy land grabber that sounds great starring our friends tom and jerry i mean my biggest question is why well ip baby dollars ip dollars doesn't make it right doesn't make it right Uh, a couple of tv shows on the horizon people might want to check out there's a really interesting series called the old man which stars jeff daniels in a uh, kick-ass action um, series. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Read good things about yeah. that. He's been on the he's yeah. been on the trail promoting that. So that's definitely worth looks looking at. Yeah, that seems interesting. I don't know if we're getting it here immediately. Like it'll probably pop up on Disney Plus Star like sooner than later. But I don't know we're getting that immediately. So mm. I'm not sure. But it's definitely debuted in the US or will in the next couple of hours at least. Uh, Love Victor has its final season, which is debuted on Disney Plus here in Australia. Nice show. Lovely Ooh. show. Love the film too. Yeah. Uh, what else we got here? The Umbrella Academy returns for its third season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have I have written one in our running sheet called Snowflake Mountain, which I feel you're ignoring at your own peril. It starts on Netflix on the 22nd. Listen to this as a premise. A bunch of clueless kiddos, I didn't know that was a word, who aren't yet living to their full potential are put through their paces at a wilderness survival retreat to try and kickstart them into standing on their own two feet. Yeah, stick it to the kids, man. Is that it's a reality show or is it a scripted thing? No, it's a reality show. It's called Snowflake Mountain. I think the snowflake is reference to the cloistered life these young people lead cloistered, yeah i got it closeted Doesn't i got matter. it it wasn't, no, it wasn't complicated <laughs> i want to mention very quickly for our perth listeners do keep checking out what screens at perth library they've got this thing called the winter film club um it's uh, all run by a guy called tristan fiedler he's the rtrfm 92.1 host of um a whole lot of review shows and as part of the winter film club next week on tuesday the 21st of june he's showing a hard day's night the beatles classic then he'll be showing his girl friday the 1940s film then in august he'll be showing taika waititi's boy so he gets these great films all for free you do have to book a spot at the library um the city of perth library 573 hay street in perth um every third tuesday i think it is or the third week of every month um from 6 30 there get along uh, do get along and see a hard day's night which is a wonderful wonderful film very entertaining yep uh just my last thing is rutherford falls returns for season two this week as well what's rutherford falls is that the ed that helms was thing? uh yeah so it's ed holmes in a uh it's got some uh, very strong native american representation in that as well all right check it out yeah Indeed. All right. This week in history, Dan Barrett, kick us off. Uh, June 18, 2001, the Fast and the Furious premieres. Premiere. Doing my little Michael Winslow gets a car. Um, June 20, 2017, Daniel Day-Lewis, he announced his retirement from acting after starring in Spielberg's Lincoln. He has not made another film since, I don't think. So do come back, Daniel. We love your work. Yeah. Uh, June 22nd, 1990, Adam Sandler joined Saturday Night Live. And things just got better for everybody. And then June 23, 1989, Tim Burton's Batman premiered in a record number of theatres and cinema was never the same again. June 17, 1980, 
uh, screen watching co-host Dan Barrett was born. I was about to do that. I was literally working up to a bit about your birthday, which is tomorrow as we record as we uh, as we record this. So happy birthday, Dan Barrett. Are, are you planning any major um, birthday celebrations? Oh, I'm probably going to edit this podcast. Well, that'll be fun for you. Yeah. Um, June 18, 1952, Carol Kane was born. Wait, she do, we, started. do we want to play a birthdays thing? <laughs> you got one ready? No, not happy birthday. No, not that. Please, no, not happy birthday. Are you going to was... um, mention for the screen watching audience how old you are now? No, they can do the math. I'll go to my birthday. That's enough. Ooh, okay, yeah. Um. Right, so Carol Kane was born. She's lovely. She was in When a Stranger Calls, Scrooged, and that episode of Seinfeld in which she was very funny. Uh, she was born June 18, 1952. Oh, I'm glad you left me this one. <sighs> Hello. Yeah. yeah. June 19, 1967, Mia Sara. She was born. Mia Sara, who was Sloane Peterson from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. Yeah. And she was in the film Legend. Just such a beautiful woman. Such a beautiful woman. Same born. Well, yeah, how is she not in more things? I don't get it. That's my birthday present to you, reading out the name Mia Sara as part of our podcast. Getting creepy now. June 20, 1931. James Tolkien. You may not know who James Tolkien is, but you definitely know who James Tolkien is. He's that bald guy in Top Gun who says, Your something's writing checks your body can't catch. And he was the principal in Back to the Future who um, gave Marty McFly so much of a hard time. James Tolkien is a terrific character actor. He's been in hundreds and hundreds of films and is, is just always wonderful. Now, you didn't have to tell me who he was, and I'd also point to his uh, regular uh, leading role in The Hat Squad. The what? It was like an Untouchables wannabe uh, as part of like the syndicated TV craze of the mid-90s. Okay, The Hat Squad. Don't remember that Yeah. Role. Check that it, out. It, it played very prominently at about 3 a.m. on Channel 9. <laughs> Where all the good stuff really is. Absolutely. Oh, sorry, here we go. Uh, June 21st, 1979, Chris Pratt from Guardians of the Galaxy, Jurassic World, and the Parks and Recreation TV series. Mm-hmm. Uh, people may know him as Burt Macklin, FBI. Uh, he was born. Yeah, funny guy. Troublesome in some respect, but also uh, good tro- old script. Troublesome politics, but we'll be talking about Chris Pratt a bit more on the podcast in the next couple of weeks as he's starring in the new Amazon TV series, The Terminal List. Nice segue. Well done, sir. Does that come bring to an end our podcast for this week? It almost has to. Uh, <sighs> folks, awesome. thank you very much for listening to Screen Watching. My name is Dan Barris, and you can find me on Twitter at the Dan Barris. Start your day with my free newsletter. It's called Always Be Watching, and you can find that one at alwaysbewatching.com. It's got the big stories in TV, streaming, and film. And then on Fridays, we've got the Always Be Streaming newsletter, which recounts the big shows that launch that darn week. My name is Simon Foster. Oh, I'm starting to lose my voice too. I'm on the Twitter at Simon R. Foster One. You can read my words over at screen-space.net. Visit the Screen Watching Facebook page. Go to the Screen Watching YouTube channel. There's new uh, trailers up there for the second season of Only Murders in the Building and the uh, widely derided trailer for Netflix's Persuasion with Dakota Johnson, which became a real uh, uh, Twitter um, target uh, over the last few days and for some very funny stuff up there. But they're all on our YouTube channel. Um, Yeah, it's been fun talking with you this week, Dan Barrett. As opposed to most weeks. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. I'd just like to say I had both those trailers on my newsletter as well. Oh, did you really? Oh, okay. Yes. Well, do less. Yeah, of course. Go to ABW. Always be watching. I do get a thrill when that pops up in my spam folder every day, and I always make sure I move it back out of there. So do keep sending them. To quote the great Kamal, why are people so unkind? (laughs) You do great work. Good talking to you, mate. I will see you next week. Bye. 